All right. Welcome to Made for Philly. I'm sure as our normal listeners know, he's saying, yeah, of course, this is made for Philly. Let, let's go. Let's talk about the fightings. Let's talk about the birds. Let's get to it. But first, we have a little bit of announcement. And as you could tell, we're not on Periscope anymore. We're on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube because we are now presented by Godzilla Media. And uh, my one of my bosses up here in New York from a from prior employment created his own podcast network. I have a podcast, as a lot of our listeners know, uh, involved with Godzilla Media already, which is a sports with a Z and a T podcast. He wants to branch out, and we are the first podcast that's not regionally based up in New York to hop in on Godzilla Media. We are attacking the Philadelphia market. Made for Philly is back and in a big way. Uh, Matt Minton is my co-host. For those that are new to the show, Matt, say hello. What's up? What's up? What's up? And uh, this show has been around since twenty shoot twenty seventeen. The spring of twenty seventeen is when we started this show with another co-host of ours in Jeff Lawson. He will not be on this week's show, but starting next week, he will be on as well. This is a three-man show. Um, mostly Matt and I, sometimes Jeff gets a little busy, and uh, that's where you'll see it just be the two of us. But we are here to talk Philly sports. Uh, four for four guys. We talk Eagles. We talk Flyers. We talk Phillies. We trust the process and talk the Sixers. Uh, so, now that football season's getting underway, we're definitely going to be talking about our birds. But typically, and Jeff and I aren't really used to this, and Matt, I know you aren't either. Let's hop right into it because uh, we have a relevant baseball team to talk about in the month of August, and those are the Fightins. The Fightins, baby. They uh, obviously lost on Tuesday night, snapping their eight-game win streak. I blame the rain. I'm just throwing it out there now because Aaron Nola was dealing and he was going toe-to-toe with Max Scherzer. We had a classic pitcher's duel on our hands until the storms blew in last night. But before that, and of course, this show is going to air on Thursday to remind our new listeners. This show now will air on Thursday. We record on Wednesday. So for time-sensitive information, just... Bear with me if I mention we're recording on Wednesday. Bear with us. As of record time Wednesday, they are 15 and 10 since the All-Star break. One game ahead of the Braves in the NL East, two and a half ahead of the Mets. Coming off an eight-game win streak where they swept the Nationals, swept the Mets, won that last game against the Pirates from over a week ago. This is a team that we were we've been waiting for this for so long. Ever since Bryce Harper came, JT Riamuto came over, we expected a competitive baseball team. We finally have it. The Phillies are in first place in the dog days of summer, heading into clutch time. Yeah, it really is great to finally see the fruit starting to bear. I was actually at the Roy Halladay retirement game where we were pitched the Full game. It seems like the energy is really back. Like it seemed like it didn't matter what team they brought in that day, they were not going to lose. And now you've got the Dodgers. So what I would like to see ideally is honestly, you know, I may be a little bit of a minimalist, but if they can take one of these three games, I would consider that a win. Then come back, beat the Marlins, beat the teams you're supposed to beat, and show you can compete against the better teams. That's going to be how they stay ahead in the division and stay relevant in the postseason race. And to your point, I mean, we still 
need to realize that, and the Phillies need to realize that, yes, they have a tough stretch right now. The remainder of this week, obviously through Thursday, they play the Dodgers, and then the weekend series is against the Reds, who all of a sudden are very hot as well, struggle are struggling against the Braves. However, this is going to be a tight race and you need to be competitive against the teams you're likely going to see in October if you get there and then handle the teams that you're supposed to handle to your point, like Mm -hmm. the Marlins, like I I think they play the Pirates again one more time. They do play the Cubs again. They play those lower bottom tier teams and they need to take advantage of it. Um, Let's talk about why the Phillies are here though. And it's front and center with Bryce Harper not only leading the charge, but becoming a serious MVP candidate in the National League. Since June 30th, he's hitting 353 with a 1.173 OPS, nine homers, 24 RBIs in 35 games. The Phillies have come out of the All-Star break on fire, and Bryce Harper is a big reason why. And in his third season with the Phillies, he's hitting his way into potentially getting his second National League MVP with – 49 games to go and plenty of time to win the thing as he did in 2015 with the Nationals. I'm going to scatter some stats for you where Bryce Harper stands in some pretty important um, places in the National League. He's fifth in batting average since the All-Star break at 370. First on on on-base percentage at 516. Second in slugging at 740. Tied for fourth in, in runs with 18. Tied for second in walks with 21, like I mentioned, he's getting on base, and that's a huge contributor to why this middle of the lineup has been on fire. Second with extra base hits with 17. First with times on base with 49. This one's kind of goofy. First in stolen bases with five. That's, I think, contributed to that one game we had three stolen bases, but still... For the season, Harper ranks seventh in the league with a 302 batting average and third with a 983 OPS. Only Fernando Tatis and Ronald Acuna are better in that co- in that category, and both of them are out with injuries. So when you put that into perspective and where the Phillies are right now, Bryce Harper is your front runner for National League MVP to date. Uh, I don't know if I'd say front runner right now, but if he keeps playing like he is right now, I don't see why not. Things could be a really interesting race with Fernando possibly coming back in a few days, and then you never know what could happen in the last 50, but it really is exciting. And I think, honestly, it might be the biggest piece of momentum this team has right now to see what this guy's doing. And if Harper is the player that we know he is, the passion player we know he is, and he keeps his game up, you know the Phillies are going to be in this thing down to the very stretch. It's just a matter of what the rest of the team can do to hold off the grade and possibly the Mets. Yeah, and, and this is a team, because we talked about the success Bryce Harper is having, that has bolstered JT Riamuto in the lineup. Travis Jankowski, for crying out loud, at the top has been good. Odubel Herrera has been good. Alec Bohm is heating up. Can't say enough about what Ronald Torres has been lately. Mm-hmm. Gene Segura has been fantastic. Um, was an all-star snub, in my opinion. Absolutely. And then you're getting McCutcheon back today. Um, Reese is on the IL, retroactive to August 17th, but um, he's still going to miss some time. But Reese was hot leading up to his uh, departure from the lineup. 
But it's not only the lineup, Matt, that, that's been on fire. Um, it's been this pitching staff, mm-hmm. truly. And that's led – look, Nola was really off to a great start last night, but you talk about the game you were at and how fitting, how fitting on the day of Roy Halladay's ceremony – does Zach Wheeler throw a complete game shutout, 11 Ks, and only two hitting the New York Mets? Um, this is a guy that, if Bryce Harper is right in the thick of the MVP race, guess what? Chris uh, uh, Zach Wheeler is in the thick of the Cy Young race as well. Uh, look, he's pit- he pitched a two-shutout, complete game against the Mets on Sunday. Leads the majors in innings, strikeouts, complete games, and shutouts. Has a 2.42 ERA and an under one whip at .99. If you care about a wins above replacement, uh, Wheeler ranks second in the entire majors to only Shohei Atani per baseball reference metric, and that's not second among pitchers. That's second among all major leaguers. So he has been a key contributor to why the Phillies are where they are right now. Phillies have 50 games left, like I said, 49 actually. And Wheeler projects to start 10 more of them. And as of this moment, it's really his award to lose with the uncertainty about Jacob DeGrom. He is the odds-on favorite to win the Cy Young now. Um, the wheel, the edge Wheeler has is not insurmountable because Walker Bueller is right there. He's twelve and two with a two thirteen ERA. Um, if Degrom does happen to come back healthy and continues to do what he did, I could see that happening. Kevin Gosman has having a really nice year as well. Brandon Woodruff with the Brewers, so he's not alone. But to take all the things into consideration, Zach Wheeler would have to be, in my opinion, the favorite as of right now. And that's impressive to say, considering especially the start DeGrom had and the other top pitchers having very good years so far. Yeah, for me, it all depends on if DeGrom comes back, because I think that's the only person at this point that can really offer competition. And, you know, it's as much as I hate to admit, it's still not impossible, in my my opinion, that they still give it to DeGrom, given what he's done, because, you know, they've helped him out with that in the past, even though he couldn't get to 10 wins the one year. But to see what Zach's doing, I think he's second in the league in strikeouts. I think he might be first in innings pitched. I mean, this, and he's been on the absolute fire from pretty much beginning to end and been arguably the most consistent pitcher in the game so far this year. But uh, I think another guy that I really have to talk about, in two guys that I have to talk about when it comes to pitching, one coming into the bullpen lately has been Archie Bradley. He's been Lights out as your setup, man. His ERA seems like he just drops every time he goes out there. And Ranger Suarez, who I was terrified to put back into the starting rotation, now has a ERA under one and I think over 60 innings pitched. So now you really start to think. Gibson's been good since we've acquired him. Nola, if that's the start of him getting his stuff back. Nola, Gibson, Wheeler, Suarez, and possibly a hot Eflin. That's a very dangerous five down the stretch. Yeah, to that point, and you're starting to see Ranger each start get stretched out a little more, and and we knew it was going to be a little bit of a process with Ranger um, to build up his innings because he has come out of the bullpen lately. And uh, I I tweeted this out, and I actually got a lot of kickback for it, and I was surprised that I did. If you're going into a playoff series – and you have Wheeler, Nola, and Gibson as your three pitchers, 
And if you have to throw out Eflin, use Ranger Suarez in a in a long relief role by that point. The Phillies can compete with anybody, especially with the lineup that's been now granted they got shut out by the Dodgers on Tuesday night, but I, I take that as you know more of an outlier than what they've been lately. This is a lineup that showed that they can put the runs up in bunches. They have the pitching to shut down a lineup. Look, Aaron Nola was shutting down a very potent Dodgers lineup until that storm came in. Let's not look at that final score of 5 nothing and say, oh, man, the Philly, here they go. They, they played up against high competition and couldn't compete with the Dodgers. When it mattered, the Phillies were competing, and then that storm blew in and threw everything off. I saw enough in five innings to make me feel good about what the Phillies could do against the top teams in the National League. Off an eight-game win streak where they proved they could put the runs up in, pun in bunches and pitch well. And to what we said last week on our show, that now that you brought in Ian Kennedy – and he seems to be settling in a little more in that closer role. You have Archie Bradley that more has that defined setup role now. Hector Neris is going to one, two, three innings each time out now as more of a, a, a long reliever type guy. You're starting to see these guys have defined roles that they're comfortable with, and that's where you're starting to see more bullpen success than we saw earlier in the year, and that's translating into the, one, the Phillies not blowing leads, two, the Phillies winning those games, and three, all of a sudden, the Phillies are in first place. It's like, remember when I said a couple shows ago that they, this bullpen needs to know their role, and it seems like they're starting to do yep. that. And it goes from a bullpen that set the record in saves before the All-Star break to now – looking like a pretty well competable bullpen. I'm not going to say championship or like deep playoff run bullpen, but a bullpen that's going to get us there and isn't going to screw our chances every single time they go out. Yeah, so th this is a team, as we record, like I said, the Phillies are one game up on the Braves, two games now up on the Mets. I I didn't take into account that they – also got they got postponed last night so they didn't finish that game so technically they gained a half game so the Phillies are one up on the Braves two up on the Mets a lot of divisional games to go and the Phillies have been very good within division this year um, they are the only team in the division with a winning record in her division um, and typically the team that wins their division games and has the best record against the division has a pretty darn good chance to win said division. This is a Phillies team. Look, you're not you're not shooting for the wild card, but you are in a very winnable division and can happen in October. And that's what the Fightins have set themselves up to do if they can keep it up. Yeah, I'm really as much as, as nervous as I am. I'm, is it weird for me to say I'm almost more nervous about the Braves and the Mets, even though the Braves like this is the first time they've been over 500 all year. That was my next question to you was who are you more scared of at this point? I would, I, I think I agree with you. I'm more worried about the Braves who pieced together a very good outfield in the wake of the injuries that they suffered, have the pitching and, and I think are just a more fundamentally sound team than what the Mets are throwing out there right now. Plus they've been like on the nose of the playoffs more consistently than the Mets. And the Mets are obviously known to have their trademark collapse, but you know, honestly, I'm looking at the Mets situation right now. Conforto just hasn't found himself at the play since he's come back. DeGrom's still a wild card. I'm more scared of the Braves. 
And I think that's going to be the main race it comes down to. I think the Mets will still be, you know, maybe we'll have like a three games back kind of situation towards the end of the season. But I think for the most part, it's going to come down to Philly and Atlanta and whichever one of those teams is better. That's going to be, it's going to be a wild finish and it's been a long time since we've seen a relevant Phillies team go into the month of October. Keep in mind the Phillies have the second longest MLB playoff drought uh, and that's sitting at 10 years. Last time the Phillies were in was 2011. So it's been a rough, it's been a rough long time and, and I think this, this city is ready to embrace it and they're ready to get this team into October again. We will keep you updated, especially on our Twitter page, which has been below on the screen uh, this entire show. But for our listeners on Spotify and Apple, our Twitter page is at Made for Philly. That would be with a capital M, a capital F, and a capital P. And I have a Twitter page as well, at ZBryce21. And Matt has a Twitter page that is Matt underscore Minton M-I-N-T-O-N so make two sure you're following by the way. Two, two underscores yeah yeah. make sure when you're searching his name it's two underscores I also have it on our Twitter account as well and I have him tagged so if, I think probably the easier way to do it would be to go to our oh, Made for man. Philly Twitter page and then click it and follow follow Matt as well but we will keep you updated on this Phillies team as we will keep you updated with every single Philadelphia sports team out there and of course, we cannot go a Made for Philly episode, especially with the time of year that it is, than talking about our birds. Matt, tonight, Eagles, Thursday night at 7 o'clock, play the Pittsburgh Steelers. Philadelphia Eagles football is back. There is a lot to dive into. I think all eyes are going to be on Jalen Hurts, who will be playing tonight. Uh, there's going to be a lot of other things to look at. Let's start with Jalen Hurts, though. What what realistically are you looking for out of Jalen Hurts in game one of the preseason tonight? Um, if I'm being fully honest, I, I see it as a preseason week one situation where regardless, I don't see Hurts being in for too long. I think if they like what they see out of a drive or two, they'll pull him then. If not, maybe they'll let him go closer towards the end of the quarter. But honestly, all I want to see is to, is proof in a game situation that he looks more comfortable and he just has worked on his mechanics throwing the ball. I know he dealt with an injured hand down the stretch of last year, but really, again, just to reemphasize it, I just want to visually see he looks more comfortable in this scheme and that he has the eye test factor. You couldn't have said it better myself. Um, really, the first two things that jump out of my mind, and we'll, we'll get to the defensive side of the ball too, but the first thing that I automatically jump to when I'm looking for something positive tonight on the offensive side, number one, it starts with Jalen Hurts. This is his team, which means it's his time to shine. Would it be great to see some flashes from Hurts early on in this game? Yes, but don't feel you know too down if we don't. Again, this is preseason game one. Jalen is going to be the biggest X factor, and I have said this time and time again. I have not only said this on Made for Philly. I have said this on Sports with a Z and a T as well. He is the X factor for this team going forward. He is the determining factor into whether or not the Eagles can go and win this very winnable division, in my opinion. 
or they're going to be a dumpster fire and they're going to have a top 10 pick. This is a talented roster, but they're not going to go very far if Jalen Hurts, if you don't get production out of that quarterback position and Jalen Hurts. So if we can get a little glimpse as to how Sirianni is going to use him, it might go a long way in the confidence of the team, the fan base, and just everyone going forward. And that, that leads me to the first Eagles drive, period, under Nick Sirianni. What are we going to see? We've heard about this new offense under Nick Sirianni. We've heard about the RPO. For the past few seasons, the Eagles have been a terrible terrible first quarter team, especially on their first drives. It's going to be interesting to see how Sirianni handles the first drive of his games. Is he going to try to establish the run more than Doug ever did? Um, With all of these tools at his disposal, now you're not going to see them all tonight, but you're going to see some of them. The Eagles were ranked 24th in the league last year in points scored in the first corner. That has to change, especially with the dynamic of this team going forward. If Sirianni is to succeed this year, then he has to find a way, in my opinion, to get this team to establish a tempo early and often and really build on it as the game goes on. I think for me, at least with the first drive, um, what I'm most interested to see is, one, I would like to see him use the run and set up the passing game because that's pretty much just football 101. I'm interested to see how he rotates the running backs because Miles Sanders in his career so far, I think, has averaged like maybe 12 carries, maybe 12 carries a game. And if he's going to be your franchise running back going forward, that's not something you can have. So ideally, I just want to see him, how he focuses the ball to his players, what kind of plays he calls in order, whether he starts off run heavy. Really, I'm just excited to see what it looks like. I mean, a change of scenery is always interesting. And he's got the personnel to make this a flashy offense. You know, I don't know if it's confirmed Devontae's playing or out, so we're probably not going to see what it fully looks like until at least week two or week three. Yeah, I, I would be stunned to see Devontae Smith. I mean, he still isn't really practicing. I still think he's a week or two out from returning to the practice field. And they are being cautious with him. Um, but – you mentioned the Eagles running back rotation. And while we might not see a lot of Miles Sanders, the rotation behind him is going to be huge. And we talked about this in our roster prediction last week. You have two sets of styles from four different players. You look at the depth chart that was just released on Sunday that I assume Sirianni is taking into his back pocket for this, um, this week's game. Jordan Howard is currently listed as RB2 on the team's depth chart. However, Carrion Johnson is equally important this preseason because I think those two are battling for a roster spot. Both players are very good pass protectors. I think Carrion's better. Um, but we've seen how they both can play a part in the receiving game. Howard was on the verge of retirement, really, until the Eagles brought him back. Seeing how he runs this time around after an injury and an abysmal attempt down in Miami uh, will be honestly a design factor on the fates of both he and carry on um, because carry on's coming off a disappointment in Detroit. We haven't heard much buzz about carry on out of camp, but we've heard a ton about how Howard is running, which has been positive. But then we also have more of those scat back guys, similar to what Darren Sproles was. We have obviously Boston Scott, and you have Kenny Gainswell, the the rookie, very exciting rookie out of Memphis. The latter missed all of last season as he opted out due to COVID. Um, 
However, this is a special kid that I got the privilege of seeing in the Cotton Bowl when they played Penn State um, two years ago. And this is a kid that honestly is very, um, very gifted. And I don't see Sirianni not using him in any in any way. He's going to make the opening day roster and he's going to be involved. We've seen what Scott can do. Um, but I'm interested to see how much run they give Gainwell as the uh, preseason progresses. And that all kind of blends in with this RPO offense. Um, Miles Sanders talked about it a little bit earlier this week, kind of gave everybody a hint of what to expect from the offense. And we're, you know, we're pretty familiar with the RPO here in Philadelphia. It actually helped the Eagles win against the Saints last year. It was very effective against the Saints. Um, and obviously it was a big part of how the Eagles won the Super Bowl, and the RPO was a big part of when Chip Kelly was here as well. It's made its way back to the no-care complex under Sirianni, and that, I think, is good news for Jalen Hurts as they try to maximize the strengths of what he could do on the football field because Hurts himself is a very mobile quarterback. The offense, when the RPO is running, we saw it last year, has proven to be effective under Hertz. Um, he and Miles Sanders ran wild for 220 combined rushing yards against the Saints, if you all remember, back uh, last season. So could that help with some of the play-action plays, open things up for Rager and Devontae Smith downfield, open things up underneath for Ertz and Goddard? Keep an eye for a sneak preview of what the Eagles might be doing offensively with that RPO. Yeah, I'm really excited to see exactly how it plays in, especially given the personnel. And going back to your points about Gainwell, one, I'm excited to see him too. But I think another Eagle that I'm really excited to see, I don't know how much playing time he'll get necessarily with the first team, but a guy I'm really interested to see is Quez Watkins, the second year receiver, because apparently he, some people have said he's been the best receiver in camp. And I know I saw the one video of him catching a 50-yard touchdown in the open practice. So I'm really interested interested to see how this RPO and mismatch kind of offense works for him because if that's a hidden gem in the rough, that could go a long way this year to help out Devontae Rager in his second year. So I'm really excited for that too. Yeah, and of course, Fulgham is going to be seemingly more involved as well. Your point on Watkins, though. Um, you kind of saw the chemistry that he had with Hertz last year. He was definitely involved. Like he made mistakes, but he looked smooth with him. Yeah, so I definitely think he's going to be a guy, unless he bombs preseason, he will definitely stick on this roster because of his proven chemistry. And like we've all heard, he has been one of the better wide receivers in camp. Let's talk about this revamped secondary, though, and who knows how much we're going to see of it tonight. However, I expect to see a good chunk of it. Um, Howie finally invested into the Eagles secondary between last year and this year. Um, this year alone, obviously, you brought in Darius Slay last year. But now the additions of Anthony Harris and Steven Nelson, which those two signings alone make this defense scary good. I mean, we've talked about countless times how Anthony Harris might be the best, one of the best not talked about enough free agent signings of the season. Steven Nelson was a top five corner last year that led the league in interceptions. So you know what you're getting from him across of um, <clears throat> Darius Slay. And then rookie Zach McPherson, who I've heard has had a strong camp as well. And I have heard 
um, comparisons to Sheldon Brown for Zach McPherson. So I would love to see what Zach brings to the defense this year. It, it, no, am I expecting him to start? Of course not. Not with Slay, Nelson, and Avate Maddox in the slot. But this is a guy that a lot of people are high on. And I'm excited to see what he's got, especially considering he is going to be a rookie. He is going to get a lot of run. Um, Anthony Harris himself was labeled as a standout safety after his great year where he recorded six interceptions last year and follow or two years ago. And following that, the Vikings franchised him. And last year he had kind of had a down year, which led him to free agency. Now he's paired with Rodney McLeod. Like I said, Steven Nelson lines up the season. Across from Darius Slay, moving Avante Maddox inside, where I think he is best suited. So I think the secondary will be very good there. And beyond those four, the Eagles are pretty invested in youth. Um, we mentioned Michael Chiquette, Josiah Scott should see plenty of time tonight as well. They're fighting for roster spots. And Jonathan Gannon is known as a very good cornerbacks coach. Um, so it's going to be fun to see, especially with how he's mentioned, how he's going to use three, four, four, three defenses, how he's going to deploy these weapons, especially on the uh, defensive line, how he's going to scatter those linebackers and how he's going to deploy his secondary in various spots. I think it's going to be a fresh, um, refreshing look compared to Jim Schwartz, who was gun ho to his system, where Jonathan Gannon is going to look at what he sees and kind of build his game plan as the game progresses with what the offense is throwing at them. Now, granted, it's preseason. You're not going to see much, but it's still going to be interesting to watch that cat and mouse game evolve as, as the preseason goes on. Yeah, I think the thing I'm most interested to see about Gann is how he adjusts because Jim Schwartz was known for just not adjusting his game plan whatsoever. So that's one thing I'm excited to. And plus, he's also preached about being aggressive. Another thing that Jim Schwartz really didn't do in this defense Seems like it's geared up to be an aggressive one. They brought in Ryan Kerrigan to reinforce the defensive line. I think the most exciting defensive player I want to see is Milton Williams, the draft pick who's probably going to open up as a third defensive tackle. Just his physicality jumps off the chart. So I'm interested to see how he fits into this scheme behind Fletch and Javon Hargrave as well. But um, it definitely is one of the most exciting rookie classes we've seen in a while, at least based on the stories I've heard in training camp. Absolutely. And another guy that, and it hasn't really been talked about as much, but I want to see um, if you've been living under a rock, Andre Dillard is now week to week with a knee sprain. And we, we highlighted how the left tackle position, that battle was probably the most intriguing for the preseason. Who was going to win that battle, Jordan Mailata or Andre Dillard? Well, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point that it's going to be Mailata. By the way, I think that's the right choice. I think Mylotta has proven to be the better guy um, all summer long so far. But that's but Andre Dillard's injury. Now, remember, Matt, do you remember when I said that last week Andre Dillard is going to come up with this weird injury, mm -hmm. right? And, and all of a sudden, he's going to be week to week. They're going to downplay it, say he's fine. They're going to be precautious with it. Howie Roseman's looking for a trade to send Andre Dillard somewhere, which leaves a little bit of a hole on the depth of tackle. I want to see what Brett Toth brings to the table now because the Army graduate originally caught on with the Eagles two years ago and has been very much under the radar since. 
Having been on the edge of the practice squad for quite some time, he has a chance to get second team preseason reps now, which is what he has been getting. And we've seen what Jeff Stoutland could do with raw offensive line talent because Jordan Mailata all of a sudden is your starting left tackle and deservedly so. I wonder how Brett Toth is going to do tonight because that backup left tackle position is now wide open for the taking with Andre Dillard's sideline. Yeah, one, it'll be interesting to see what he tries to get or where he tries to move Dillard if he if that's what he's thinking. But yeah, even with Dillard on the roster, you know, you really want to figure out who's going to be that swing tackle because Dillard, when he was put on the right tackle in his rookie year, he didn't look so good, but we've got to left happy a little bit better. So if Brett Toth ends up being this swing tackle guy, that's really good for the Eagles' depth because we know what the offensive line situation was like last year. You know, knock on wood, we don't have anything like that again, but Brett Toth, another name to be noted for sure. There's two more positions I want to address that I'm kind of looking at for tonight. And that one, we'll start with this, is the QB2 battle. Nick Mullins and Joe Flacco have been going at it for the backup quarterback spot. And I think at this point, Joe Flacco is the favorite. Nick Mullins started off hot um, in training camp, has looked good, but has cooled off a bit since. Mullins is going to have a showcase, probably, I'm assuming, him and Flacco outside of Hertz, probably getting maybe three or four drives. Flacco and, obviously, Mullins will have the rest of the game. I'm looking to see Mullins showcase that big arm as well as his ability to protect the rock and, and kind of use his mobility a little bit because I like the prospect of Nick Mullins being the backup quarterback instead of Joe Flacco um, at this point, which you know what he is at this point. Obviously, Joe Flacco brings that veteran presence to the locker room, been there, won a Super Bowl, um, was a Super Bowl MVP. However, you do have Super Bowl champions on this roster from Super Bowl 52, so that's not exactly an argument for me. I would like to see Nick Mullins take this backup position role from Joe Flacco. Yeah, I think so too, because one of the biggest questions I have is when you have your offense built primarily around a mobile quarterback, you want your backup quarterback to be a good athlete as well. Thank because, you. because if say, you know, knock on wood, Hertz goes down and Flacco comes in, you have to change up a lot of your game plan, a lot of, your game plan for the week, for the season possibly, and it's just going to screw up your chemistry. So it's going to be interesting to see either does he want to use Hurts a lot more pocket than running, which I hope he does, and I think his best ability is his ability to make people miss and run when he needs to. So I think it might be something like where a couple of years ago where we had Matt McGloin as our third QB, and he got about 40 or 50 passes a game in the preseason. So I think they're definitely going to <laughs> – leave no stone unturned, at least for Nick Mullins, to see what he has to offer. There was nothing worse than watching Christian Hackenberg and Matt McLoyne throw a combined 100 pass attempts every preseason game. That was unbearable. But, yeah, no, that's that's a, probably what you're going to see from Nick Mullins moving forward. The other guy I want to highlight, because we, we mentioned Zach Ertz is on the roster right now. We don't know if that will be the case come week one. We don't know if Howie Roseman's going to swing a deal. We just simply don't know. Now, ideally, would it be nice for Zach Ertz to be on this roster? Yes, but cap-wise, it doesn't really make much sense where the Eagles are, where Zach Ertz is, how much money he's owed. It, it would make sense to maybe find a trade. That brings in the question mark for a third tight end because that would leave Dallas Goddard 
and Richard Rogers. The star of training camp, and we've talked about a lot of people that have been uh, catching a lot of people's eyes so far, but we haven't really talked enough about this guy yet. And this may be just a preseason darling. We don't know. But so far, Tyree Jackson has been incredible in training camp. At 6'7", he was a quarterback out of Buffalo, spent some time with the Bills, has been turning hands as a big-body tight end, and as we all know, the Eagles lack that depth, as I just mentioned. If Jackson can make some noise during the preseason, I could see himself forcing his way onto the final 53 as a tight end three if um, Zach Ertz does move or a red zone specialist. If anything, the Eagles are going to try to find a way to get this kid on the practice squad. Yeah, I think he's definitely a practice squad lock. It's just a matter of if somebody else is going to pick him up. Um, if Ertz is traded, which the more I think about it, I mean, if Howie stuck to his guns this much, I would imagine he's going to be on the opening day roster. So that means I think Richard Rogers has the tight end three spot locked up. Correct. But um, if Ertz is moved for whatever reason, I think that he might have that tight end three spot locked. If not, he's definitely got a practice squad locked. So I hope he does for someone who's been as promising as him. Thursday night, 7 p.m., the birds are back. The link will be popping. I have a feeling it's going to be rather full. Keep in mind now, because of the mask mandate in Philadelphia, if you go indoors at any point in the stadium, you will be required to wear a mask. However, you do not have to in your seats. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out as well. I'm interested to see how full that stadium is. The open practice Sunday evening was there was a pretty solid crowd there, so I, so I, I, that's good to see. I mean, everybody is always excited for the birds, no matter what the prospects of the season look like. I'm just happy that football is back. And uh, I think a lot of Eagles fans are happy that another guy is close to being back. And if you look at the headline right there, I put the number. I put the all-important percent, and that would be 75%. Um, it came out today on Tuesday as we recorded that Carson Wentz is back at practice. Um, no boot, nothing. Um, him and Quentin Nelson are on track towards playing week one for the Indianapolis Colts. And you're probably thinking, Bryce, Carson is not on the Eagles anymore. No one cares. No, no. Remember that if the Eagles get a first-round pick from the Colts from this Carson Wentz trade, that means Carson Wentz played 75% of the snaps for the Indianapolis Colts this season, or the Colts make the playoffs and he plays 70% of the snaps. If he is ready to go week one, the Eagles have a heck of a better chance of getting that percentage out of Carson, knock on wood. Hopefully he can stay healthy throughout. Um I did the math, Matt, and it starts getting uncomfortable, you know, because the original projection was that he would miss about five to 12 weeks, but there was a chance he could miss up the five weeks of the regular season. So I did, okay, worst case scenario, they he misses five games. That leaves 76% of the projected snaps for Carson to play. So... I'm comfortable with him missing maybe four games. After that, it starts to get a little dicey for the Eagles getting that first round pick. Yeah, so 
ideally you want the Colts to just absolutely flop and Wentz plays the full game. But uh, what I'm concerned about is, is that the Colts have had a history of downplaying injuries before. They did it with Peyton Manning's neck injury. They did it with Andrew Luck before he walked away and retired. So I'll believe it when Wentz actually comes on the field and looks okay. You know, I'm knocking on wood for 75%. So it'll be interesting. It's going to be another reason Wentz has our hearts beating a thousand beats a minute and he's not going to lose anymore. All eyes for another year in Philadelphia will be on Carson Wentz. And that's not because he's in midnight green anymore, but because his health is oh so important for the Eagles and their draft capital and the future of the franchise, quite frankly, because it might be more ammunition for them to take a possible run at a franchise quarterback, either via trade or via the draft. If Jalen hurts doesn't pan out in 2021. Um, So keep an eye on the Minneapolis Colts and Carson Wentz, because Lord knows that it's going to be a bumpy ride for the Wentz wagon out in, out in Indy. Wanted to talk about one last thing before we head on out of here. We have about five minutes left on our show. The Sixers. Oh, the Sixers. Obviously, they have been a little busy in free agency. Not many sexy names. We mentioned the Andre Drummond signing. We we mentioned bringing back Furcon. Since we last had our show, they brought Danny Green back on a two-year deal, which I think is a nice, important signing for them. However, it has brought been brought to a lot of people's attention, whether it's true or not, that Ben Simmons has been completely disconnected from the Sixers front office, including Joel Embiid, which by far, bla- I mean, blew me off my chair because, I mean, it was not oh so, but game three of the Eastern Conference semifinals, Ben and Joel were dabbing it up, you know, after a nice solid win against the Hawks. And now you're telling me they're not even talking. Um, this is certainly alarming for the Sixers. And I don't, it's tough to see Ben Simmons returning if that report is true to the Sixers roster. And as projected, um, the Sixers roster, in my opinion, I think has struggled to improve to a point where I can convincingly say they're going to be better than a Nets team, a Bucks team, um, and could be threatened by a Hawks team if they if they continue to improve as well. However, there have been rumblings that multiple sources say the Sacramento Kings have shown interest in both Ben Simmons and and Pascal Siakam. And they have done their due diligence as well on Ben Simmons. And we talk about the potential return of possibly Buddy Heald coming to the Sixers, um, Bagley coming to the Sixers. Um, Sixers have been mentioned to not be interested in a deal with them unless De'Aaron Fox is included, which would be smart. But with Heald's elite three-point shooting and Bagley's unrealized potential, in my opinion, that could be appealing if a better deal doesn't materialize. And I'm talking about a better better deal as in Dame Lillard with Portland. Mm-hmm. And all the comments that have been coming out of Dame's mouth lately is that he is not happy with what Portland has done this offseason to improve that roster. The Knicks are out of contention of getting the Dame because of what they did. The Warriors probably aren't going after Dame at this point. The Lakers sure aren't after acquiring Westbrook. The Sixers are the only logical fit for Dame. You have the Sixers with the 
disgruntled Ben Simmons, the Trailblazers with a disgruntled Dame. You have Chauncey Billups at his opening press conference today saying he's not looking to shoot 53s a game. That's not how he's going to run it. I'm sorry, but as I'm connecting the dots here, Matt, doesn't it just seem to be that the arrows are strongly pointing towards Ben Simmons being moved and Portland still being the most logical fit for him? Yeah, I'm actually glad you just said that Chauncey Billups quote because I saw that today too, and I was actually just going to say that, but he beat me to the punchline. But one, I think if reports are that Simmons has not returned Embiid's calls, and if neither Embiid nor Simmons have said that's not true, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it is true. So, But it does seem like the stars are aligning because now that Ben is seemingly disconnected, Maury now has more and more pressure to make a move before the season starts. Correct. And if Dame is unhappy, the Trailblazers have more and more pressure to make a move before the season starts. So there's got to be a point where Maury says, all right, I got to go get Lillard. And if he does, I think it's great. If not, you've heard interest about the Warriors picking up. I'm not exactly sure how a trade there would work. That has to be a three-team deal for me if that's going to be a win to get any of those guys. But I think that Portland is my most likely location for him to be moved. And I think Sacramento is a close second. It's looking that way, especially with the Warriors sounding hesitant which, I mean, I don't blame them, but they seem hesitant in the belief that Ben Simmons and Draymond Green can coexist on the same team, which, guess what? They couldn't. Um, that's, that's just not realistic at all. Um, when you're looking at the Sixers starting lineup as of now, let's let's take a quick look at the roster before we head on out of here. At point guard, you have Ben Simmons. As of now, you're, as we look at this roster with Tyrese Maxey and Shake Milton there as well. You look at your shooting guard, Seth Curry is going to be your starter, and that's where it gets interesting, right? You got Rajon Tucker, you have Jaden Springer, who has looked pretty darn good in, uh, in limited time already, and Isaiah Joe. You look at small forward, you have Danny Green with Matisse Teibel, Furkan Korkmaz, and Aaron Henry on a two-way contract. Toby, obviously, at the power um, with Georges Nyang, Paul Reed, and Anthony Tolliver still there. And then at center, Joel Embiid and Andre Drummond. Look, is this going to be a very good team if that roster is what it's looking like in October as the season starts? Yes, absolutely. However, with a healthy Nets team, who knows if they stay that way, the defending champions in the Milwaukee Bucks, the Celtics are still a good team. They'll be better this year. You talk about the Hawks. You talk about maybe a surprise team showing up, maybe the Bulls because of what they've done this offseason. It's tough for me to convincingly say that the Sixers, let alone being the number one seed again this year, will show up and have a legit shot as constructed at an NBA championship. I think they have to go and get a true um, playmaker at the point guard position to pair with Joel Embiid. And as long as it's – I mean, if it's Damian Lillard, great. I think they are the favorite in the East. However, if you don't get anybody comparable to that, it's tough for me to see a way out of this where the Sixers become one of the dominant teams in the Eastern Conference this year. Yeah, I agree. Especially, look, number one seed aside, they haven't gotten past the second round in their last, what is it, four trips to the playoffs. So something has to change. And I think the thing is – is that ball-dominant playmaker who's not afraid to take the big shot in that moment. Love Joel and be to death, but he cannot handle the ball 
late in the game in crunch time. You can take that shot by the post, but no, should not be handling the ball top of the key. He should be under the basket. And that role should go to somebody like Damian Lillard or much as I like Maxie, I don't think he's ready for that yet. So having another uh, strong summer. Mm-hmm. I think that if they can just get that one dominant ball handler who is well established, I don't see why they're not the favorites in the East. It's definitely going to be interesting to see what Daryl Morey does as the regular season approaches. Obviously, the summer games are going on as we speak. Uh, we've seen some good things, especially out of Tyrese Maxey um, so far moving forward. So keep it locked in to at Made for Philly, like I said earlier in the show, at ZBryce21, at Matt underscore underscore Minton, M-I-N-T-O-N. Um, Jeff... Our other co-host will be on the show next week as we break down what the Eagles did against the Steelers, what we look forward to in their upcoming preseason games, and as we head towards the regular season, we will break down their regular season and go game by game and predict their schedule. That will probably be, my guess, is the week before week one, just so we know what the roster is looking like and any injuries that may have occurred, hopefully not many. Um, I'd like to thank Godzilla Media for bringing Made for Philly onto the podcast. Nothing but good things coming. I've been teasing it for a couple of weeks now on this show. It finally happened. We finalized it. There will be better things to come, especially under Godzilla Media. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you to our listeners. Make sure you subscribe on Spotify, Apple, YouTube comment in the comment section give us your feedback we would love to have you guys have input on what we say and do on this show that is the whole point of the show it's for the fans a definitely a refreshing taste of what the philly media has been so once again for matt i am bryce thank you for listening we will catch you next week go birds and the fightings said said we're talking about the fightings Said.